All right, well, um, you know, that song, talking about the fact that God is holy, let me just explain again with Patrick. What, the, holy isn't an attribute of God. Holy is the thing which describes all the attributes of God. And, and what it means is His love is holy. It's complete. It is love undiminished. It is its fullest expression. Uh, the scripture says God is love. It's real important that folks know that love is not God. There are people that live that way, that, that love is God and just go around hugging everything. That's not what God is. God is loving. God is just. But, but I want, when you want to know what love is, love is fully expressed in God. So the love of God is holy. Any other definition or revelation of love is not holy. So the justice of God is holy. This is one of the reasons that God says, hey, let me take care of uh, your enemies. Vengeance is mine because your execution of justice will not be as holy and as full as his is. Now, God did set up human government on earth that there would be limited justice that for a time would restrain evil and protect and encourage good. But he says, don't, don't, have, don't make there be any mistake about it. You know, your little life sentence here on earth, that is not your judgment. There's real judgment coming. And hopefully, God says that the judgment, the rod of punishment on earth that you experience will make you fear ultimate judgment. Because that really is the only thing that sometimes uh, will restrain evil is when folks realize there's a consequence to this. So when you think of God, you are holy, what you want to think of is that everything that is good and right and true and pure and, and lovely, God is the most and all and the completeness of that. Everything else is a shadow. Everything else is diminished expression of that. That's why you're a fool to find um, satisfaction and hope in a human relationship. Because as wonderful as it is, as great as it is to have human intimacy, human love, um, even the, the thrill and joy of sex, it is not real ecstasy. Real ecstasy is going to be union with Christ and being married and communing with Him. And, and look, right now we do that in a way that is veiled, it is diminished. Okay, But there's going to be a day that we fully get to experience it. And God describes that as heaven. That's what heaven is. We always think heaven is, you know, six flags with no lines and food that never makes you sick and an appetite that never goes away and, you know, sex at your whim and pleasure. And, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, I've said this before, I, I think that if, if you know, uh, the act of relational intimacy, physical intimacy, and all the, the physical pleasure attached to that on earth... I think is an anticipation of what we're going to experience when we really know Christ. You know, it's going to be an unending experience beyond anything else that we can identify with on earth. Why? Because relationship with God is a holy relationship. So anything that is good, any aspect of good sex is good in a healthy relationship, that's not even holy good and holy pleasure. So that, that should make you look forward to heaven. That's why Paul says... Okay, to live is to get, I mean, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, because that's what's waiting on me. Now that is either crazy talk, or or you're crazy if you don't start running towards that Savior right now, because He wants you to experience on this diminished, veiled, unholy earth. This is not a holy place anymore. This is paradise lost, and God is wooing us back into relationship with Him, where paradise can be restored. And we can fully enjoy it. And what he's done is he's put citizens of heaven. This earth is not our home. 
Okay, and I think a lot of times we as Americans, we just go, man, I love America. I'm a citizen of America. I got to tell you, we're not. In fact, that's why Paul even says in chapter 3 of Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. Why? Because the Philippians were, in a sense, the Americans of their day. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was right there in the Aegean Way, which was a major um, you know, trade route. You didn't have to pay taxes. You didn't have to pay tolls if you were a Philippian. You had all kinds of benefits if you lived in Philippi. And, but he said, look, don't take pride in your Philippian citizenship. You are no longer identified as Philippians. That was a big deal. That's why Paul says now, look, if we drink of the same well, the well we drink of is Paul says, I'm not a Philippian. Okay, I am a Christ follower. If we drink of the same well, then let's love each other. I think I said 1 Corinthians, uh, yeah, I said 1 Corinthians 13, and it was 2 Corinthians 13 is where it, it talks about how we all drink of the same spirit, which is Christ. So correct your notes if you're taking them, and I hope you are, so you can go back and look at this stuff. Yeah, it, it, it is 1 Corinthians. I said 2. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is what it is. Okay? So, so when Paul was saying that, so anyway... You know, when we talk about that God is holy, one of the reasons we sing songs, you know why we sing songs? It's not a tax. It's teaching. We put truth to lyric and melody because that's the best way to learn. And so if you guys will take those truths and you just go through your, the rest of your day humming, you are holy. May that be a reminder of you. It's not like, oh God, you're this wizard behind a curtain that I'm scared of, like Dorothy and the lion. Okay, but what you want to really think of is, God, you're the only thing worth pursuing. If I pursue anything else, I'm a fool. You are holy. Okay, that, that's, that's why we sing songs. It's teaching, and it's instruction, and it's reminding us of all these great things that are true. So Paul says, that's why he says, man, for me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. I'm ready to go, but if I'm here, I'm going to live for him. Because of how good he is and what he's done for me. He has pulled me out of certain death and, and, and wooed me back into a relationship with him, which is paradise restored. Okay? And that's why, again, the psalmist says this, all things become shadows in the light of you. What he means by that is when you really see the goodness of who God is, everything else is just a shadow of love. It's a shadow of right relationship. It's a shadow of what compassion looks like when you really see who Christ is. And that is why he says, nothing on earth do I desire beside thee. Okay, let me explain that again in Psalm 73. What he's saying right there is, in light of you, beside you, when I really see you for who you are, when I see real gold, fool's gold is no longer to be attractive to me. Okay, and so what we've got to do is meditate on Christ, focus on Christ. This is Paul's effort to his friends to remind them who Jesus is, what they've received, what Christ has accomplished, what God has provided for them. And he's saying, pursue him. First of all, love one another, even as Christ has loved one another, radically experienced community, because the way we love one another on earth is a foreshadow of the intimacy we're going to have in heaven. And it is a kingdom restored. Where conflict is gone, peace is there, compassion, forgiveness, encouragement exists. Secondly, you seek to be what Christ has called you now to be, a person that is different, set apart. You're no longer part of the destruction that makes paradise lost. You are now part of the renovation project, the redemptive work. God has left you here to rebuild the city of God that we will never fully accomplish. Christ will do it himself. But we are people that are to be a beacon of hope, a city set on a hill. He'll say that in just a moment. Okay? So radically pursue Christ. And then take courage. Have peace. Sing no matter what's going on. Blessed be His name. 
When the world is as it should be and you get around folks like this, because I want to tell you, man, there's a little, you know, giddy up in your step when you're up here. Okay? We're not in 98 degree heat. We are in clear blue mountain skies. Uh, Folks are in a community where there's generally love and a concern for one another. We, we go out of our way to get to know one another. We wear our name tags. We, 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 we sing songs that are true. We remind ourselves of things. We take time away to sit and meditate on stuff. And we just go, this is good. It's a little bit of a glimpse. And so he's saying, this heaven is going to be infinitely better than we can ever imagine. Because Christ will be there and he will make everything as it should be. And everybody will walk fully with him. And Paul says, I'm ready to get there. Now, while you're here, do all you can to experience it. Let my spirit inform you how to live. Remember that your flesh still wages war against you. The enemy's still here telling you you're nuts. The world is going to hate you because you're a constant um, reminder that it's going to be judged. But take courage. God will not forget you. So, love, holiness, and courage. Sing. Don't fret. You're going home. Okay. Now, in light of all that, I, 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 I tried to convince myself that I could just go down through verse 8 and leave it alone. I can't. Second, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 down really through 8. If there is one message in the Bible, okay, uh, it is this message. In fact, I think uh, Clint put Luke 14, uh, 11 for me. Uh, and so I'm just going to put Luke 14, 11 because it is Philippians 2, 3 through 8. This is it. Man, let's just read it together. Let's just sing this verse, okay, with no melody and a monotone voice. But let's just remind ourselves of this. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's read it. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is the message of Scripture. I was talking yesterday uh, with my buddy Scott Michael, and we were driving down the mountain. We were just trying to figure out why certain guys move forward and really experience the richness of Christ and really mature. And you know what the answer is? Luke 14, 11. You know what the answer is? Philippians 2, 3 through 8. You know why some people learn to love? You know why some people become holy? You know why some people have courage and joy all the time? Luke 14, 11. It's as simple as that. There are still, and there's some of us here that are still arrogant. We're still prideful. And I'm not talking about in fleeting moments. I'm talking about just as an attitude. We're stiff-necked. I don't need God. I don't need Christ. This stuff is crazy. You, not, you folks are, are nuts. I'm going to run my own offense. My wife will put up with the way it is. And it's better than it could be if I want to really unleash on her. My kids got it all right. Better than I had it. I mean, and on and on we go. I mean, okay, I go to church. Watermark going to just be happy with that? The heck with really initiating, getting involved with community group, inviting accountability in my life. That is arrogance and a lack of humility, and it will bite you. Okay? Just wait. You just keep running your own offense, okay? Wisdom will vindicate itself by her deeds. Just take a glance back in 50 years and compare your life to a humble man and see how that works out for you. Or better yet... Christ says, come here, man. Follow me. I love you. The reason we got screwed up is because we didn't do Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And we exalted ourselves. We said, we don't need God. I'll decide what's right and wrong. God just says, look, be my child. I'll tell you what's right and wrong. And I'm not an abusive, moody dad who gets tired and tells you the right thing to do is leave me alone until I want to talk to you. Don't speak unless spoken to. That's not who God is. That's a broken, warped view of Father. Who God is is a loving Father who wants intimacy and relationship with you. And He doesn't ever ask you anything 
other than to trust Him because He wants to bless you. That's God. And so what I want to do is I'm going to show you how to be great. And then I'm going to show you how not to be great. And I'm going to show you the course of both of these individuals. And it's Luke 14, 11, which is the central message of Scripture. Now, the central message of Scripture is that God pursues folks that try to pridefully exalt themselves to redeem them and to restore them back into a position of humility where they can have a relationship with Him. Okay? I mean, the redemptive work of God is the central theme of Scripture. But what he's trying to get to is, look, man, you were created to have intimacy and relationship with me. The reason God doesn't let you find joy, life, meaning, freedom, fullness apart from him is because it does not exist apart from him. Everything else is bastardized freedom, bastardized pleasure, bastardized love. It's a warped, perverted view of it. And what he's saying is, it's all with me and all in me. So here we go. Look at this. Okay, he, he, he just dives right in, and in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider one another as more important than yourself. Do not really look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. I mean, I, I quote these verses so stinking much, and I fail to live these verses more than any of the verses in my life. Because I'm prideful. I always think that my way is a better way. Exalting myself, getting what I want when I want it, you know, is just the easiest way to do it. And this is the constant battle. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to remind the Philippians, he's going to say, look, man, if we are like-minded, if God is at work in our life, if we are of the same mind, if we maintain the same love, if we are united in this spirit of Christ, if we are intent on the one purpose of glorifying God by becoming the men and women we're supposed to be, then we will live this way. And what Christ, what what Paul always does, I'm going to show you another place that he does this. What he always does is he always points to Christ as our example, not himself. And so when he says this, because remember he's saying, be intent on one purpose. You have this attitude in yourself, verse 5, which is always in Christ Jesus. It is a mindset. It's not a feeling, but it's a choice. It's a belief. It's faith. By the way, what saved Adam and Eve, okay? And by that I mean, what allowed them to continue to have paradise? From the very beginning, God was always about relationship. And this is what I want you guys to understand. God is a God of relationship. And from the very beginning, He created Adam and Eve. Even when He created them in the garden and put perfection there, He made this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden that you want, but don't eat of that one. Why? Because you don't need that one. You just need me. I've given you everything, and I'm going to keep telling you everything that is good. You don't need that. Just love me, and I'll love you, and it'll be awesome. It'll be paradise. Be fruitful and multiply. Bring others into this relationship. Okay, now look. So what preserved them? What kept them in paradise? The answer? Faith. That they didn't need anything other than what God gave them. The day that they did not live by faith, but they go, you know what, that tree looks better than others. I think that tree would allow me to not need God, and then I could decide if God is really who He says He is. We exalted ourselves. I don't need this perfect provision, this loving Father. We're lacking in nothing. But I think, I will, I think I'll see if I really think I, I, I think I need that. We didn't live by faith anymore. We didn't trust God. We broke relationship. And then God said, okay, great, now you've got knowledge of good and evil. I'm not 
fearful now that you're going to run for mayor and get me you know, elected and no longer be king of Eden. But the problem is, is you're not like me. You are not holy. I made you in my image, but you're not me. You'll never be me. The enemy told you that you could be like God, but you'll never be like God. You can enjoy God. But the problem is when you know good and evil, you won't always choose good. Does anybody here have that experience? Most of your mistakes, are they mistakes? Because you really, you know, maybe it's not really good to raise my voice, yell at my wife, manipulate her and verbally abuse her to get her to do what I want to do. But I'm going to do that because I think that's what's going to make sense. Our problem is not a lack of knowledge. I know what goodness looks like. I know how to discipline my children with, with tenderness, but with consistency and with appropriate levels of, of consequence. But I don't always do that. And, and so my problem is not that I, 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 kn- I don't know good and evil. My problem is that I don't know how awful evil is and how good good is. I won't choose it. And God knew that if we got on those rails, we, we wouldn't go that way. And so a lack of faith destroyed the relationship. The destroyed relationship with life always leads to death. Okay? And you move from glory to diminishing levels of glory. And that's exactly what happens with all of us. Every time we move away from God, a little bit of the glory that God intends for us is gone. Okay? So, so look what Jesus does. This attitude, having yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, watch this. Who? Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Sometimes I love words. The word grasp is, is, is the word that we get prehensile from. All right? You ever been to the zoo and you see this monkey has a prehensile tail? Okay? And it, it's a tail that can, it's like they've got, you know, they, you see a monkey grabs with its hands, it grabs with its feet, but it also grabs with its tail. It's a, it's a tail that can grab. Okay? And so that word, it just comes from the Greek word grasp. That's why they call it a prehensile tail. It, it, I think word studies are really interesting when you follow the root meanings of words and where they come from. It's going to really show up later in this. And so anyway, what he's saying is that Jesus did not hold on to this. Why? Because he's a loving God. He goes, look, if I've got something that you need, I'll let go of it. Well, what did he let go of? And this is so important because verse 7, watch this. But he emptied himself. Now there has been endless debate that comes out of what the emptying of himself meant. Okay? Because we don't believe, the scriptures never support, that Jesus stopped being God. What he did, you're going to find out, is he took on a dual nature. Theologians call it a hypostatic union. Okay? Which, which, which means that, that without in any way diminishing the perfect, full, complete, eternal nature of God, he added to that finite humanity. Okay, limited nature. Without in any way not being fully human, he continued to be fully God. Now why do we say that? Because that's what scriptures teach. Some people think what Jesus did, though, is he just stopped being God and he came down here on earth. That's not the case. Okay? Uh, So the question then becomes, well, what did he empty himself of? This is what he emptied himself of. And I want you to write these words down. Because everything he emptied himself of is everything we live for. And what Paul's saying is, look at Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God. Look what God did. And if God would do that, and he's your loving father, why wouldn't you do that? That's Paul's argument here. Okay? So he's venerating Christ as our example, but what he's really doing is he's saying, look, man, 
If we were just like Him, this God that's calling us back into relationship with Him and wants us to be like Him, can you imagine if everybody was like this? Look what He emptied Himself of. Rightful worship. Alright? The, the right to be fully worshipped all the time. Authority. Don't we all love authority? Power? Jesus said, I'll let that go, man. I love Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Do you remember that verse? I mean, Charles Wesley. If you ever want good theology, good Christology, memorize Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Memorize that one song, and you've got complete Christology. It's got Philippians 2 in there. How about this one? Mild he lays his glory by. Okay, the melody is nothing like that. But the words are exactly like that. Okay? But what it means is just mild, he laid his glory by. Okay? It's right there, but he just is no longer going to access it. I'm not going to live for my glory in this moment. What's interesting is it's the thing that most glorifies the Father when you see what he does. Okay, so he laid his glory. So Christ let go of his glory. When he walked around on earth, did everybody just give him glory? No, they hated him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They told him he was a fool. He, He let this go. He let go freedom to exert his independent, sovereign will. Now, what do I mean by that? When, when, when you're God, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, all the time. When He's on earth, He couldn't do whatever He wanted to do, whenever He wanted to, all the time. Because why? He took on the nature of a man. And not just any man, but a servant, a bondservant. Okay, He's born, why did He do this? Because He was born, Wesley writes, mildly lays His glory by, born that man no more should die. Born to save the sons of earth. The scripture says. That's Philippians 2, 3-8. Watch this. He let go of his um, independent freedom to exert his sovereign will. He let go of his throne in heaven. He let go of his glory. He let go of his lifestyle. This is why you'll find when we see somebody who leaves all their comfort to go somewhere to serve other people, they let their lifestyle look different and be different. Even though they're rich, for others' sake they become poor or live in a poor, impoverished third world country to love them, to teach them of Christ. We just go, what kind of fool would do that? Who does that? Who leaves America to go live in the savannah? To learn a language, to tell people that are oppressed by, by the kind of individuals I'm about to show you. And to, to restore paradise. Answer. God-like people. Christ-like people. That's who. People who just take God at His word, take Paul at His word, say, I'm going to go for it. Okay? Now look, he doesn't want all of us to move to Africa. He doesn't want all of us to move to West Dallas. He doesn't want all of us to move down to Central America. But he might want some of us to. And if we say, God, I'll do whatever you want to do except that. And by the way, don't so many of us do this. I don't want to really follow God because he might, he might make me go do that. But here's the deal. I love Elizabeth Elliot. If you don't know who Elizabeth Elliot is, just check out her story. You know, she's a fairly well-known story, but um, it's the story of you know, her husband Jim. They moved to Ecuador. Uh, with four other missionary families into the jungles of Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians and um, her husband and four other studs, I mean, you know, leaders of leaders, folks that many people thought this guy will be the next president of the United States. 
You know, these guys were, had a spear run through them. Life magazine called it a waste. It was worldwide news because these, these Indians murdered these guys that were there trying to take the gospel to them. But Elizabeth Elliot, when she was asked, how in the world could you pick up everything and move to Ecuador? She goes, it wasn't, she goes, I didn't, I, I didn't pick up everything and move to Ecuador. She said, I just kept taking little steps of obedience my entire life to where all of a sudden the next step to me was Ecuador and it wasn't a big step. In other words, what she was just saying very humbly is if Christ had told me, okay, Elizabeth, follow me and you're going to go to Ecuador, I wouldn't have done that. But I learned of Christ. And for me, the desire of my heart was to do this. I'll just tell you this. If when I was told I was going to trust Christ, that I was going to be in the ministry, I would have said, forget it. There was nothing in me that ever wanted to be a pastor. Ever. Ever. And, uh, you know, I wanted to support pastors. I wanted to let them use my, my, my place in Vail. I wanted to, um, I did, I was willing, I was ready. I wanted to be on the Young Life board, okay, and, and I wanted to be one of the major donors. I wanted to be on the board, love Christ, really encourage, disciple the Young Life leader, let him use my lake house, let the kids go down there, ride my sea okay, but I did not want to be a pastor. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the deal is, is that God just slowly, man, he just, he just worked in my life. In fact, on the ride up here, I was telling my kids, the moment that God finally just said, man, trust me, Wagner, I'm going to give you so much joy in doing this, and I'm going to take care of you. And I go, but Lord, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be somebody raising support all the time, asking folks for money. And I was reading, I remember exactly where I was sitting, I was telling my kids this. Um, because guess what? We're going to Vail after this. And, and we're staying in, in a crazy place in Vail. Okay, and uh, and I was just telling him, I go, look, man, I don't do this because I get to, we, we're going to go and have a fun time in Vail. I go, but but God, let me tell you, God always fulfills His promises, not just materially, but there are every now and then examples. And I just told him, I said, I can remember where I was seated, and I was reading Psalm 37. And there's a scripture that says, I once was young and now I'm old and never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants beg for bread. All day long he is gracious and lends and his children are a blessing. And that was all the stuff I said, God, I want to serve you, but look, I don't want to be, I don't want to be borrowed. I want to be a giver. And I want to, I want to have blessed kids. I want my kids to be able to, to serve and love others. And I mean, I remember reading that verse and God just goes, okay. And, and I was reading through Psalm 37. And I just go, oh my gosh. I was right about to head in my senior year at University of Missouri. I was president of pre-law society. I was headed to law school. All this different stuff. And he just said, man, just trust me. He goes, look, I don't mind if you want to be a lawyer, but you know you're getting great joy doing what you're doing for the first time. You, get, you use your gifts. You're around. For other, I'm gonna, I only want you to do what you want to do. And you know you want to do this, but fear is keeping you from trusting me that you were created to do this. Just trust me. Your kids will be a blessing. Trust me, I'll provide for you in a way that you'll be able to give. Now, that doesn't always mean materially, but I'll make you a giver. And I've got to tell you, I, I, every now and then when I read that verse or quote that verse, my knees buckle at how he has fulfilled that verse in my life. They buckle. I just go, wow, man, has he ever done that? That was 27 years ago I read that verse. And I just keep going back and I just say, he does not disappoint. But, but, but Jesus, he left all this stuff, and it says he took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So, so watch this. God, I'm not going to be God. I'm going to continue to be God, but I'm going to take on, it says, the, the, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empty myself, take on the form of a bondservant. I'm going to be made in the likeness of a man. 
Okay, and be found in appearance as a man. I'm going to be uh, humbled by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's just down, 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 down. You go, what a nut. But then look at this. Look where it picks up. And I'm going to come back. It says, for this reason. Because by the way, what was the very last thing the world ever did to Jesus? It buried him. It spit on him. It mocked him. It called him a fool. That's the way his, his effort here ended. But then God picked up his side of the deal. And Luke 14, 11 comes out. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. By the way, one of the things I do is every time I come up here, I think of an illustration I had a long time ago about a young, arrogant, prideful seminarian who had this great message. He was ready to give it. He walked up in that pulpit just ready to go and just it was one of those moments that just didn't come out right. And man, he walked out of that pulpit like I just laid an egg. And it was awful, and he was kind of walking out, and some old woman of the church walked up to him and said, Young man, make this a life lesson for you. Had you walked up into that pulpit the way you came down, you would have come down the way that you went up. And I think of that every time that I get ready to come up and teach. I just go, Lord, as I go up there, man, I want to go up there, you know, the way that, that, that I don't want to come down. You know, I just want to be a vessel through which you can be exalted. I want to be a vessel through which you can be encouraged. And I got to fight, you know, the, the natural nature of man, which is I want to really be a guy that they go, wow, dude's impressive. And it's good. Now, that's not really what I want to do, Lord. I mean, it is. That's my nature. It's my sin. What I really want to do, do is let Christ live in me. And I want you to exalt your word and your son. But when you live that way, you know, Luke fourteen eleven kicks in. Always. And so Paul's just reminding them, look at Jesus. He is your example. This guy went down, down, down. And so what did Christ do? He gave him the name above all names. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue will confess that that dude had it right. The one that they spit on, mocked at, laughed at, and beat, and buried, and moved on. No, I will pivot the calendar on that one. And there will never be another. Why? Because he's the one that did it to the fullest. And so here, what I'm about to show you is Paul saying, look, dude, look what God has done. So jump in. Be as humble as you can. Be as Christ-filled as you can. Because he will rightly take care of you as well. Okay? Now, now, just in contrast to this, turn in your Bible. Keep your finger there in Philippians, but turn back to Isaiah 14. I'm going to show you the contrast. And, uh, and this is your enemy. And I'm going to tell you what. If you find yourself not consistently humbling yourself, I will tell you why. It's because you are of your father, the devil. It's as simple as that. Okay? And you will not be exalted in the future. You will end up where your father ends up. Just like if you humble yourself and you live crazy lives that folks go, what are you doing? God go, I'll show you what he's doing. He's the only person living wisely. When you give radically, when you are generous and give yourself away, the world goes, what are you doing? We have folks in community at Watermark that we always encourage folks, don't just give, consult with your community. We have had people at Watermark that were stirred by the Spirit to downsize their house, to sell their car, to, to give you know, out of large portions of their saving to various ministries around the world. And their community goes, that is crazy. This is other Watermark members saying, don't do that. That is insane. It's irresponsible. And they are giving direct, contradictory advice and admonishment of Scripture. 
And they go, we, our communities tell us we're nuts and we're taking this too seriously. And I will tell you why, because Mark Twain, I wrote this quote down so I can say it right. Mark Twain said this. Um, he said that there is nothing, where, where did I write this down? Uh, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. It really is, because you know why? Because a good example just wears your hiney out. And so I'm saying, don't do that. Don't be Jesus. Jesus wears me out. I barely read Philippians. The last thing I was a guy in my community group who's living it. Few things are more annoying than a good example. They really are, because you're constantly convicted by it. Would you quit every community group when you just have a tender little moment with your wife where you're just asking her forgiveness and the group's forgiveness? You make me look like an ass. Stop that. Right? Okay? And, and, I'm, and I just... But, but Paul's trying to say, no, we need to be more like this. And if you're not like that, it's because you are... I'm telling you, man, it's coming. It is coming. Isaiah 14, look. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. Okay, in Revelation 22, Jesus is called the star of the morning. Okay, it's the brightest of the stars in the morning. It's Venus, is what the Latin would call it. So why is Satan here called, O star of the morning? Because he is an imposter. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. He tries to make himself look like God. He tries to make himself look great. But when the, what really happens is when the star, there it is, but such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, a lot of guys try and have these aesthetic works, or they bow five times to the east every day, or they do these great pilgrimages, or they fast during certain months, and they say, this is our righteousness. And he goes, let me just tell you where your righteousness will get you, because your righteousness is not perfect and full. Okay, but Isaiah 14. The enemy, or in this case, it was the uh, king of Babylon who was exalting himself in a way that he wasn't supposed to. You, you, the, the, many, everybody believes that this is, this is just a dual course. You've got a, a king on earth that is, in a sense, manifesting himself the same way that Lucifer, an angel, just basically said, I'm, I'm going to shine brighter than you. Okay, now what, what, what's a bright morning star look like? If you think about, you know, in the morning, you see sometimes right there at the break of dawn, there's, a, there's still, you can see Venus in the morning sky. But what happens is the sun starts to come up. You go, where's Venus? It's gone. It's gone. All right? Even Jesus on earth was a morning star in a sense that we don't really know his glory. His full glory will be revealed. But watch this. You have been cut down to earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, now watch this. This is direct contrast to Philippians 2, 2 and 3. And watch where he goes. In, in, in Philippians you go, I'm God, but I'll be like a man. I'm a man, I'll be a bondservant. I'm a bondservant, I'll become obedient to the point of death. I'll be obedient to the point of death, even to the cross. Highly exalted. I'm a man, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be God. Nevertheless, no you won't. You'll be thrust down to the resting place of the dead, to the recess of the pit. Okay? When you want to know what the, the world is, Isaiah chapter 12. Okay, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. It's people just going, I will, I will, look at me, watch me. And God's going, are you kidding me? This is the same guy that, that God later made to eat grass. Remember that story? Uh, you know, he just made him go out and look like a crazy man eating grass. 
And, and I will just tell you, this is Satan, who right now, you know, who has exalted himself, and God said, you go run your little earth. And for a while, he's having a field day, but God says, I'll tell you what, man, it's going to happen. It's going to come your way. So you're going to what? you got to choose who you're going to follow. Are you an I will, I will, I will, I will, or are you a thy will person? Paul's saying, be a thy will person. Why? Here's why. Because what God did for Christ, he will do for you. I'm going to put up a few verses here. All right, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. All right? For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. You know what he's saying? If you just come with thy will, thy will, thy will person, he's not going to forget it. Do you remember, did he forget what Jesus did? No. Therefore, he highly exalted him. He gave him the name above all names. No one ever, ever going to be exalted above Christ. But I want to tell you something. He's looking for a few good men. Master, can we sit on your, in glory, one on your right and one on your left? What did Jesus say? That's a great, great goal. You should want that. But you don't get it through political favoritism. Drink the cup that I drink. Are you willing to do that? In other words... Be humble. Follow God. Trust Him. Give your life away. And God will give that to those people. Okay? I just want to tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a lesson of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul's trying to say, for, um, uh, he's, he's saying that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each man might be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, both good and bad. Now I'll just say this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right? Uh, verses 12 through 14, or 10 through 14. Okay, this is what Paul's saying, just so you're not confused. We don't teach enough about works. Okay, judgment is always by works. Let me say that again. You will always be judged by works. That's just, just a fact of Scripture. Now look, listen to this. You can only be saved by grace. <laughs> you will only be saved by grace. But you will be judged according to your works. In other words, if you're a son, you will live with the Father. You will be with the Father. Okay? If you're not a son, you're going to be judged by your works. And he's going to say, okay, you want to be, a, um, you want to be judged by your works? Give me your resume. And anybody who turns in a resume that is anything other than Jesus took the test for me gets an F. And anybody who, who says, I will turn to my resume, I will impress God, I will be righteous, I will be religious. And this is what religion is. It's man always working his way to God, turning in his resume. That's every religion on earth. Everyone. That's why when people say, are you religious? I go, well, define religious. Okay? And I say, if you mean, do I love God and, 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 and exalt Christ and seek to follow Him? Yes. But I don't call that religious. Religious is what we do. Christianity is what he has done. And I live in a relationship with a loving God who gave himself for me. Okay? So, but, but watch. You will be judged according to works. So there's the judgment of sinners, and they all get Fs. And then there is the judgment of the church. You are saved. You're in heaven. You're in relationship with God. But there's going to be a day that you will give an account. Here we go. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation for... For right standing before God. Your works? No. What's your foundation for right standing before God according to verse 11? 
Jesus Christ. And if you stand on anything else, if you stand on your own resume, you're in trouble. That's why you've got to come to Christ, trust in Him, and depend on Him. But Paul says, having done that and learned of Christ and realized what He did to reconcile you out of lostness back into a relationship with Him, build on it. So now, if any man builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Okay, so what kind of work remains? Anybody want to know? Works that are done. Two words. The first word is by. By what? Faith. Works that are done by faith. What kind of works are done by faith? Well, this kind of work. All right, do I want to build up for myself treasures on earth that I can see and bring me comfort immediately? Or by faith, do I really believe there's a God? And I store for myself treasures in heaven where thief doesn't destroy and rust doesn't destroy. A thief doesn't steal and rust doesn't destroy. That takes faith, man. Okay, am I going to live by faith that God wants me to be a lover, wants me to be a humble man, wants me to be forgiving? Because the world mocks humble men. The world steps on forgiving men. It, or do I want to just go, you know what, I'm not living for this world. God's my judge. Okay, am I going to love as Christ loves the church, or am I going to love as American men can love their wives? <laughs> it takes faith in Africa to follow Jesus. They go, this is very contrary to our culture. And I want to go, no, Sherlock, of course it is. All right? Because your culture has nothing to do with Christ. That's why when people become in positions of power, they step on you and eat you because they learn from the lion, not from Christ. And the lion pees where he wants to pee, eats who he wants to eat, and if you kill something, he'll eat you and eat what you ate. You've learned the law of the jungle. There is an enemy who roars like a lion who's teaching you to follow him. And you keep going, I will, I will, I will. And he's going to humble you. And when you're in leadership like that, it ruins an incontinent. And so when you tell me you don't want this oppressive ruler over you, but you are oppressive over your wife, you're acting like a lion in your own little kingship. And if you want blessing in your country, you need to teach Christ in your country. If you want blessing in your hut, quit living like an African. If you want blessing in your hut, quit living like an American male. (laughs) And live like Christ. And you won't believe what it does to your family. That's crazy talk. Unless this is true. And Paul's saying it's true. And he won't forget. By faith. By faith. Now, a couple little things just to throw in right here. Because, man, this is... This is my favorite passage of Scripture. I mean, I just love this. Like, it's one that God runs over my heart all the time. I'm doing stuff. He goes, do nothing for himself. Just in the conceit. And I just go, oh, man. And sometimes I quench that spirit and I just keep moving. And sometimes I just, by the grace of God, start to power down and humble myself. And lean out on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I begin to acknowledge Him. And He makes my path straight. Okay? But when you really want to know, if you want to find out um, if somebody is truly great, you know, in America, we just kind of say, here's what you do. You give them responsibility. Give them a little bit more you know, faithfulness. I tell guys all the time, the, the reward for faithful service is the opportunity for more service. But if you really want to know if a man is great, you don't give him responsibility. You know what you give him? Privilege. You give a man Privilege. Okay, because most men, if you give them responsibility and the, and the remuneration from it, 
or the encouragement from it is enough, they will be responsible because they want what? More power, more position, which is what? More privilege. Why do most of us want privilege? So I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. Right? So here's my question. What did God, who could do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, how he wanted to do it, do? He left privilege. He left privilege. Then he said, I'll be a servant. And God goes, that's it. That is holy living. All right, I love uh, Proverbs 27, 21. Uh, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold. And each man is tested by the praise accorded him. You want to really test somebody? Give them privilege. Give them freedom. Don't check their expense account. And what Paul's about to say right here is this. He goes, man, know this. Don't do this because I'm around. All right? I mean, I'm glad that you want to do it. Don't do it because of an intimidation by the apostle. Learn Jesus. And do this because of intimacy with the Spirit. That's why, man, who you are when you're alone is alone who you are. Okay? I am not. I don't lead my marriage the way you see me lead my marriage in public. I lead my marriage the way I lead my marriage when you're not around. That's who I am. Okay? I'm not a believer because I teach the Bible. You're not a Christian because you go to church because you brought a Bible to here. You take good notes. You are a believer because you have intimacy with Christ, not because you're intimidated by the apostle. Now, it's good to have the, if you will, the encouragement of community. But Paul's saying, look, I'll show you where he says this. Look at verse uh, 15. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is so important. Let me go back to that idea in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 14. What he's saying is, look, don't you see who God is? He's faithful. Man will forget what you did. God never forgets. And so what he's saying is work out. It doesn't say work for. Okay? It's very important. He didn't say work for your salvation. Because you better be really good because look how good God is. Look what he did. You got to be that good. He doesn't say that. He says work out. Okay? The word there is, um, it, it, it's a word that is used to can finish the problem. It is get all the fruit from the field. It is go in the mine and get all the gold. What Paul's saying is that you've got an opportunity. You've got one life. Get everything you can out of it. Look what Jesus did. He got everything he could out of that moment where he glorified the Father. And look what the Father did. You, therefore, this is your moment. Don't miss your moment. Every day, every moment, every relationship, every frustration, every suffering, every gospel opportunity. Live it. Work out your salvation. Get every piece of gold. Don't miss any of the plans that he has for you, any of the future, any of the hope, all the plans for welfare, none for the calamity. Don't miss the good works which he prepared for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, don't miss any of those. Why? Because he will not forget. And there's going to be a day. And so Paul's saying, not just because I'm there, but because of your intimacy with this God that has given you his spirit. And so this is so important. The, the idea that work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul's saying, go for it, Philippians. Don't miss your chance, watermarkians. Okay, and look at verse 13. It's another word. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a different word there. The, the, the one is the word we get ergonomics from. 
up top, okay, which is human engineering, that you can maximize human opportunity. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is E-N-E-R-G-O-E. Think of that. Watch this. For God who is at E-N-E-R-G-E-O. I I misspelled it the first time. What's that word sound like? Energy. Let me teach on this for a second. Okay? You take every opportunity to mine the life that God's given you for His glory because it'll be for your good. By the way, what's the primary motivation for godly living in the Scripture? It's for your own benefit. <laughs> and and, and why is, what's God's primary motivation for, for lifting up Christ? For your benefit. So that you can be reminded who He is so that He'll draw you to Himself. What's the primary reason God wants to glorify Himself? For your benefit. Because if you know the glory and goodness of God, you're going to want, give me some of that. And so he's just telling you, live this way. Why? Because it's good for you. If you look at giving in the scripture, do you know what the primary purpose of giving is in the scripture? The primary motivation? It will be well for you. So God loves you. Okay? Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you will reap if you don't grow weary. All right, so look at this. For it's God who is at work in you. It's His energy. This is important. This is what, 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 what Patrick was saying. And we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. But Patrick was saying, man, that I didn't know what to do with the Spirit, but this is key. What, what I'm going to try and tell you is that God is concerned about the worker. And then he says, if, if the worker is cared for, the work will take care of itself. And so what God is going to do is work in you. And then the fruit of his work in you will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all right, and self-control. And so what he wants to do is work in you so he can work through you. This is where so many of us miss it. This is religion again. Religion is having been saved by faith, we then try and live by the flesh. And you cannot do it. You cannot, having been saved by faith, you can't build on that foundation only established by faith by the flesh. By what seems right to you, because what seems right to you is never going to glorify God. You have got to be a spirit-informed person. And so it's going to feel like second nature. Okay? Not in the sense that it's like, well, it's just my second nature now, I just do it normally. It, it does increasingly when you learn how good Christ is. People ask me all the time, Todd, is it any easier to walk with God today than it was, you know, 20 some odd years ago, when you, 30 some odd years ago when you trusted Christ? I go, yes. Only because of this. Because now, I've got 30 years of seeing, you know, Psalm 37 bear itself out in my life. I've got 37 years of watching Luke 14, 11 at work. I've got 37 years, and I have never once, man, I have never once applied God's word to my life and go, no, that really, that really burned me there. That really, that one. Okay, now, I, there have been times I've applied God's word, and I walked away from fleeting pleasures. I've given up some illicit sex because I've listened to God's word, and it costs me. Right? I've given up an opportunity to make money and have money, and get away with things, and it cost me. Really? Did it really? I mean, no. That's just stupid. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, has everything been easy because of this? No. But when I look at it with any perspective, okay, I have never, never, ever applied God's Word and gone, that one, man, did not work out. Did, you know? I've always gone, he's, he's, batting, a, he's batting a thousand. 
He's batting a thousand. And not only that, I go to the other side, and when I didn't do God's word, only because of the grace of God, I'm batting about 750 there. In other words, uh, you know, about 75% of the time, I, I, I go, that really stunk. There's 25% of the time, I, I kind of got away with it. And often, the kind of getting away with it only emboldened me to go after it again, okay, in a way that really ended up costing me. But my point is, is the longer I live, the more I see the goodness of God, and I've experienced the horrors of godlessness. I've seen the look in my kids. Have you ever gone? Have you ever gone to just turn back and love your kid? And he goes, you go, hey man, I was just going to put my arm around you. Why'd you flinch? Oh, I know why you flinched. Because there's been some times I reached at you like this, and it wasn't to put my arm around you. And I just go, man. I never wanted my kid to flinch when my hand came at him. Okay? And I just think to myself, what have I done? This is my, this is my nation. This is my marriage. These are my, this is my dad's fault anymore. This is me. My dad ain't living here. This is me. Okay? And so I'm telling you, is it easier? It's easier. Why? Because I've loved my kids well, a lot, and they run to me. Okay? I go to put my arm around them. And by the grace of God, they don't think Dad's going to smack me. They, they move towards me. And I just go, it's good, man. My wife shares herself with me, loves me, speaks well of me when I do that stuff. And I go, it's good. It's a better way. You know? I don't have to yell, carry on, manipulate, and threaten to get a little bit of sanity for 15 minutes. I get to love, lead, and serve, and have peace. It makes me want to go home. Which way do you want to go? Okay, so look, what, what, what the scriptures say right here is you've got to let God work in you, and it's going to be second nature. What works in you? The energy of God. All right, Acts 1.8. But you will be my witnesses. Okay? I don't think I gave you that verse, Clint. But, but you will be my witnesses when? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Look at John chapter 14. All right? Um, and so the only way you can be a witness that God is good, that He's a reformer of man, is not you say, I'm going to be good for you today, God. And a lot of us do that. And, and you will not be good for Him today, God, because your flesh and the enemy are still at work in you. You know that, right? I'm going to show you a couple of places because this is really important teaching. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because you don't want to miss a single opportunity to get all the fruit, all the gold that God's mined for you in a spirit-informed life. And then he's going to say, for it's God who is at work in you. You've got to let him do it. He's taking the Philippians right back to the provision of the Spirit. Both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Okay, so look, John 14, 16. I'm going to ask the Father, Jesus said, he's going to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Scott, this is what we were talking about yesterday. How come certain guys don't get it? Because the Spirit of God does not work in them because they do not know him or see him. They are not spiritually appraised. Intellectually, they're okay with Jesus. They even kind of agree with the Jesus story. But they don't know Him personally. They aren't humble enough to believe that the Jesus story isn't just a story. It is God's revelation to you. And He's called you to come to Him, to humble yourself, to acknowledge that a perfect God could never be appeased by your resume unless you give Him nothing but humility, that you deserve nothing but judgment. And God, if you weren't wholly loving, wholly compassionate, wholly merciful, I could never have a relationship with you. When you do that, He says, well, guess what? I will still be judged. 
I will still be just. I will still pour out all my wrath. And guess what? He poured out his perfect wrath on the perfect Son of God. Who, I'm going to just throw this up. Put 2 Corinthians 8 up there. Okay? And we'll come back to this. This is what he did in 2 Corinthians 8. This is, the, this is again the admonishment. Do you remember I took you earlier to 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about how the church at Macedonia had given, but then it says down there in verses 3 down through verse 7, they first gave themselves to Christ. And then they gave materially. Okay? But go down to verse 7 and 8. Okay? Um, where, or, or 8 and 9, where it says, um, watch this. I am not speaking as a command that you do this. But it's proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love of others. I mean, also, in other words, the Macedonians did this, and I want to be able to speak of you the same way so that I can see that the Spirit of Christ is really in you. What's the Spirit of Christ? For you know the Spirit of Christ. You know the grace of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is Philippians 2, 3 through 8 compressed. For though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you see that? And so what you do is you just finally said, Lord, I can never be rich except through the poverty of Christ. He experienced my judgment on the cross. I don't know why you would do that. It's, just, it, it's beyond me. It's, it's only by faith do I believe that that could happen, that there'd be a God that would do that. But by faith, I am now reconciled to you. And by faith, the God that I'm reconciled to, who would do that, I'll do whatever else that God would do. So let the energy that informed the perfect God-man to give himself for me, the energy that redeemed him from the grave and exalted him on high, let that energy, that spirit of God, that spirit of truth work in me. So what is this energy? Because a lot of folks will go, well, where's this? Come on, God. I want more energy in me. Okay, the energy is truth. The energy is the spirit of God, the relationship with God. God is the power. And when you know there is a God, and you know that this is the way He wills you to live, and when you know that this is truth, you no longer father the father of lies. And there is power in truth. And so you're no longer an individual that rejects truth and says, I will figure out what truth is. I will say what good is. I will make this world my way. You go, no, that's my, word. my way is going to get judged. My way is wrong. My way is broken. My way leads to poverty, death, and hate. I will now live according to the spirit of truth which is the spirit of power, which is the Holy Spirit. Those are all synonyms in the scripture. And so here's the power. Watch this. I no longer live like I know what the heck is going on. I live like God is real and he knows what's going on. And so I'm going to follow him. That's what a spiritually appraised person does. But John 14, there are certain people that don't hear, believe, or think that, and they think you're nuts for following him. Okay? For the world doesn't believe that but you know him because he abides in you what abides in you when you trust christ you're saying god is good god loves this way god cares about me therefore god will tell me how to live look at verse 26 verse 26 says but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that i said to you so how does he teach you so look, I'm going to tell you right now, look, this, I'm about to teach you the secret to the spiritual life. Do you want to know how to become more loving, more holy, and more courageous? This is it. This is how the energy works in you. What is the energy? It's the Holy Spirit, which is also called the Spirit of Truth, which is also called the Spirit of Christ, which is also called the Helper. 
So what's going to help you in that moment when you're, you want to be abusive to your wife, when you want to be uh, a, a, a victim of lust, when you want to be materialistic, when you want to live for yourself and comfort in this world? What's going to help you? Correction. Truth. Righteousness. Authority. That you recognize sits only in God. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay? Where it says... Um, All scripture is inspired by God and it alone is authoritative. It is profitable to instruct you. There is nothing else that should instruct you. So anything that I say that is not consistent with God's word, run from it. But if you believe that God's word is true and you believe his spirit birthed it, then let that be the the source of your life. It can reprove you, correct you, and train you so that you might be adequate, equipped in every good work. So how do I love my wife, man? Here's how you do it, like Christ loved the church. Well, what's that look like, man? Okay, let's talk about it. Well, I don't feel like doing it. Well, wait a minute. So what do you have to do with that? Well, it's totally contrary to my nature. Right, your nature is the nature of death. Look at the way your nature has brought your family to 2010. All right? Well, man, I'm not sure I want to be, you know, do this with my money. Why? Because I'm afraid. Well, have you got money now? Yeah. And what are you? I'm afraid. Well, great. So where's that got you? And I just want to keep going back and just say, quit consulting yourself. Romans 7, watch this. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. I am sold into bondage to sin. We are all born with a rebellious spirit because we're sons of Adam. Okay? For what I, I am doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do. Do you want your marriage to be screwed up? Do you want your kids to hate you? Do you want to be bitter and lonely and isolated in the world? No, but that's kind of what you got, right? And so I just want to go, man, how's that going? If you keep doing what you're doing, you, can, you know, you're gonna, uh, you, if you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. But if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going to like what you got. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. In other words, I, I hate what I've got, and the law has told me you should hate it because it's not righteous. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. So quit telling me this seems weird to you. Of course it's weird to you because you're a sinner. You're a child of Adam. You're a son of disobedience. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing is not. Paul's saying, I want good, except I don't do good. Why? Because there's a spirit of disobedience which now dwells in unbelievers. And Paul says, when I come to Christ, my flesh isn't gone. And some people are really confused by that. They go, well, I still want to do sin. Let's keep reading. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. That's right. Why? You have given yourself over to sin. You have followed a different master. He is the father of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the reason you're doing this thing that you know is destroying and you don't figure out how not to do is because you are a slave to sin and lies. So guess what? Christ says, come over here. By the way, you didn't have to be a slave to sin. You gave yourself to it. You spit in my face and ran to him. You left me your father and made him your daddy. But I will redeem you. I will pay the price to win you back. But just know this. That guy's still going to stand outside and yell at you. Come back and listen to me. He doesn't love you. Who would love somebody like you? You know who you really are. In fact, listen to yourself. Your voice still tells you you want to live this way. You ever get that? I do. But the Father says, I paid for that. You don't have to go. And now I'm going to start to whisper truth in your ear. 
I'm going to start to tell you to love. And I'm going to tell you a real man forgives. And a real man is tender. And a real man is patient. A real man is sacrificial. A real man is humble. A real man heals. Man abusive. Let me show you. A real man is like Jesus. Who, although he exists in the form of a God, in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. Humble yourself. Follow me. Listen to me. You're my son. Come back to paradise. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In other words, I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who's going to set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for the energy of power of truth that is within me. Okay, I want to tell you what. Is it a real present reality? Yes. It's not just a proposition. It's a person. Jesus is no longer in the grave. He lives. His spirit lives in you and dwells in you. And he admonishes you and he encourages you. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is it. So you've got the pattern that is Christ. Okay? Paul's saying, follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. What's the power? The power is the spirit of Christ. Okay? What's the provision through which you receive the spirit? It's through a relationship with Christ. But how does the Spirit teach you today? Guess how? Through the Word. Okay, man, you know what? I I want to tell you guys, we are being instructed right here by the Spirit of God. He's saying, live this way. Love this way. Okay? We're almost done today. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men. Okay, look at man. If this is watermark, all right, Jake, I want to say something, man. If this is watermark, run for the friggin' hills. It's crazy. But if what I'm saying is the word of God, clue in. All right, hey John, if this is a watermark way, run for the friggin' hills, man. But if this is the word of God, tune in. That's all I can tell you guys. All right. Because this is crazy talk. This is a cult. Okay? Unless it's Christ. Unless God is real. And then you better listen. You want to keep scoffing at it? If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. But if you scoff, you alone must bear it. He who humbles himself will be exalted. But he who exalts himself and says the word of God is crack, he will be humbled. And the dead are waiting for you. And you're, you're going to have death in your life here. And you're going to have death forever in a way that's going to make this hell that you're currently creating look like heaven. Because the reality is, sinner, the reality is, man of flesh, the reality is, son of the enemy, this is as good as it's ever going to get for you. This divorce, this hate, this isolation, this loneliness, this is as good as it ever gets for you. But, oh, child of God, who lives with an other-centered mindset, who, even in your... Poverty is overflowing with gratitude and graciousness and generosity. This is your hell. Rejoice. This is a pretty good hell. Okay? There's still death. There's betrayal. There's uh, faithfulness. There's loneliness. There's isolation. You single sweet moms, you, you know, who said to me, I'm a divorced woman. I never want to be a divorced woman. This is your hell. Hang in there. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because I'm going to tell you something, man. The message that you're preaching... The message that you're preaching to your kids to love and to forgive, God's hearing it, and He will not forget it. 
And I think you're going to have more reward than the most podcasted preachers of our day. Keep preaching. And I know it's hell. But rejoice. Again, I say rejoice for this prison of widowship, this prison of singleship that you have because a guy told you one thing and did another. It's an opportunity because the world expects you to be a man-hater, bitter, angry. And when you live in a way, you're gonna, they're going to look at you and go, who are you? That'll preach. Okay? So you receive it as the Word of God. You accept it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is. Okay? So watch this. I love what it says. There's, there is the... Um, there is the uh, reception of it, you, you, you appreciate it for what it is, you appropriate it by reading it, and it performs its work in you who believe. Okay? When you apply it. And that's going to be, that's gonna be the, the, the transforming power of the Spirit in your life. And so he says, in verses 14, watch this, so, he says, don't grumble, don't dispute. And then I love what he says right here. He says that, uh, that you are to not isolate yourself from the rest of the world, but you're to be an individual that proves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, a breath reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you, whom you appear as lights in the world. You hold fast the word of life. First, that's 2.13. Okay? Philippians 2.13. The work of God. So that in the day of Christ, I'll have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Alright? That's it. So that's how you do it. That's how you work out your salvation by letting Him work in you so that He can work through you. And, and if you're wondering why there isn't more transformation in your life, how's your Bible intake? I mean, really, how are you doing? Do you go, this is the Word of God. How can I live? Man does not live by bread alone. Does your body physically hunger for food? Mine does. Your spirit ought to hunger for this more. This book will correct you, reprove you, and teach you. And you ought to live by it. And you ought to ingest it. And you ought to take it in. And you ought to discuss it with others. And you ought to meditate on it. And then prove yourselves to be doers of the Word. You go, it's the Word of God. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to apply it. And it's powerful. And when you do that, the world goes, who are you guys? God's working in me so that he can work through me. And the world goes, you're unbelievable. We don't come away to our little holy hill. We don't isolate in the monasteries. We are in the middle of a perverse and wicked generation. But we are not perverse and we are not wicked. We are shining lights. By the way, what's the world, you know, what's evil think about light? It hates it. Paul says, don't be surprised. It's going to hate you. But there's going to be a day when the false light, which is darkness, is going to be put out and the real light is going to be exonerated. Just keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So in the thing in which you are slandered, in the day of Christ Jesus, they will give glory to God because of the way that you lived. Hold fast the word of life. Why? It's good for the world. It glorifies God. But it was Paul's primary motivation when he said, work out your salvation. Because why? It's good for you. Look how it worked out for Jesus. It's going to work out for you. So rejoice. I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. I rejoice. 
God is being glorified for me to live as Christ. If I die, gain. Then my hell is over. That's crazy talk. Or it's the only thing that can deliver you in his life. Father, I pray that my friends here with me would hold fast to the word of life. I pray that we would learn from Christ. That we would humble ourselves, humble ourselves, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God while the world scoffs at us and calls us fools. And it says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. I thank you, Father, for the cross. It shows that you hate sin. I thank you for the resurrection. It shows that you love righteousness. And the power that enabled Christ to live a perfect life is the power that will enable me, if I live by the Word and depend on the Spirit, the Spirit that He has given me to remind me of things that are true, the Spirit that He gave men to write the Word that it may be perfect and without error. May I ingest it. May I meditate on it. May I appreciate it for what it is. May I appropriate it to my life through Bible reading and meditation and memorization, and may I apply it. And Lord, as we do that, we know that you will work in us and through us, and that we will be able to say that this is good and acceptable and a perfect way to live. We can experience it. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for the beautiful day that awaits us, friends that will encourage us, Lord, we don't want to do this. We don't want to live well today because of intimidation of the Apostle. We want to live well today because of our intimacy with Christ. And I pray if there's anybody here who is not still certain of that intimacy, who has not yet laid a foundation of faith, that they would say, I need this Jesus. Man, I need this Jesus. And I pray that folks that are discouraged, that their flesh still wants to do evil, that the enemy still makes evil look attractive, they wouldn't be discouraged. They'd go, of course, I live in his world. Of course, this body of flesh is being judged. That's why it's decaying and dying. But what lives in me is the Spirit of God and truth. And so I just want to follow that. I've now recognized that it's true. I see this body of death and the works of death that are in me. I know I live in a world that is influenced by the morning star that will soon be vanquished. But may I follow truth and lean out on my own understanding. May that happen to each of us for His glory, for our good, we pray.